Good morning, this is Nate from Nate Jones Design, and you're listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'll see you in the future. I'm Steve Foder. I'm Chip Hessenflo. We're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. And if you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information this week. Uh, uh, warning, warning, warning. Get your mother some flowers. It's Mother's Day on Sunday. Go order flowers now. That's right. You have to get that, those reservations in if you're going to go out and sit with everybody. Or That's right. better yet, just go ahead and plan something. Uh, Barbecue. A little get together. It's, yeah. The weather's finally nice. Let's barbecue. Tell mom that she did a good job. You know what? You Thank know, you, mom. You right. did a good job. I, I'm, a, I'm an okay guy. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. And my wife has done an okay job doing just the same for my sons. My sons are okay guys, too. They only have to go through a few years of therapy. <laughs> They'll be fine. <laughs> Watch some bad movies. Meet some, meet some people. That's, that's what it's all about for me, I think. Film at 11. Brings us to our Film at 11, our movie of the week. Boy, oh boy. You know, I, I'm going to pour a little out because I'm, I'm, a little, I'm a little sad, Chip. Steve, Steve sad. Ash versus Evil Dead is over. They have canceled Ash versus Evil Dead. There will not be a season four of Ash versus Evil Dead. Season three ended last week and and Bruce Campbell put out a message saying, I am retiring the character of Ash Williams. This has been a 39-year run for this character. The first Evil Dead movie was 39 years ago. This guy has been playing this character. I loved every minute of the last 39 years of Ash Williams and Bruce Campbell and and season 3 of Ash vs. Evil Dead really let that character grow for the first time. Well, tell me a little bit about this last season. What was why was it so special? It was okay. It's it was really special on on Mother's Day week. There's something about parents and children. Ash Williams finds out that he has a daughter that he did not know about. She is now a high school student, a, a strong individual and he grows as a character as a result of being a father being a father changes you you are a different person today than you were 15 16 years ago is that because you get a belly and you start losing hair there's and so then, many things that happen and then you start having hair migrate down your back because you have to worry about oh. somebody else oh you have oh. to think about somebody else you have to care about somebody else and you just do automatically as a father it's amazing how that happens it happens here in Ash versus Evil Dead, Ash becomes a better person because he cares for this girl that he just met. Well, in, in many ways, you are uh, projecting your love on another mm -hmm. person, and having a child absolutely allows you to do that. So, uh -huh. how wonderful! It's it. I suggest you watch Ash versus Evil Dead. The first two seasons are on Amazon Prime. The third season's gonna be there eventually. There will not be a fourth season. 
boy, they could. They they left it wide open to make a fourth Evil Dead movie. All right. So last week we were very lucky. We had Professor Gary K. Wolf on. Uh huh. And uh, anyway, right after he came on, <laughs> yeah. of course we 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 absolutely set this up for him. That's Tell right. us about what what came on. Yeah, Tuesday night, and another one will be on tonight. Tuesday night last week, James Cameron's The Story of Science Fiction came on AMC. This is a six part documentary exploring all of those ideas that Gary K. Wolf came on to our show to talk about. Talking about aliens and invasions and science fiction and how it has changed us over the course of lifetimes. There's so many generations of sci-fi. So this is a series? This is a six-part documentary series on AMC. So episode two is on tonight. Okay. And uh, I do encourage you to watch this. Gary K. Wolf is featured as one of the experts in sci-fi because he's one of the experts in sci-fi. How wonderful and and how lucky for us it worked out really well for us to have him on the show last week if you haven't listened to that interview go back to last week and listen to that interview It was a great conversation about one of my favorite things in the universe science fiction (laughs) you got a chance to see a movie about tennis which is one of your favorite things no no i took tennis lessons because there was a girl who (laughs) who was taking tennis lessons and i went to my father said i want to take tennis lessons my father said why what's her name I said, how do you know? <laughs> okay, the, the movie that I uh, watched this week came out a couple weeks ago. We, we talked about it. It's Borg versus McEnroe. Mm-hmm. And it was about two tennis stars. Basically, uh, McEnroe was a rising tennis star at that time. Borg had, at that time, where this movie takes place, had won four Wimbledons in a, a row. And he was pursuing his fifth, which, um, not to give away the ending, but it's pretty much there. That's he, history, yeah. He ended up winning it. This was uh, the 1980s. This is the, yeah, 1980s. John McEnroe was the, the height of his bad boy tantrums during the right. pinches, tennis matches. For those of you who don't remember him, uh-huh. uh, he would get um, flustered and just start yelling. And start, throwing things. He would yell at the uh, crowd. He would uh-huh. yell at the umpire. He was a character. Oh, he was. He yeah. was. And so this this um, movie basically addresses Borg uh, during his rise. Uh, we end up getting lots of flashbacks from his youth. And also Mac- we get a lot from John McEnroe, his youth also. Now, Borg, as we learned through this movie, he had a very similar challenge that mm. uh, McEnroe had. He, he was a, um, a v- very deep competitor. Uh, in fact, we learned that he um, had a lot of emotions, would throw his racket, he would um, yell, and basically doing all the things that McEnroe did. He had eventually got a coach, and his coach basically focused him and told him to hide his emotions. So Borg actually came across very robotic. Like a cyborg? Like a cyborg. That's ironic. How, how interesting is that? <laughs> and that's exactly how they played these characters. Huh. Now, McEnroe had his own uh, set in Is It Abusive or Not? Possibly. Um, he was basically under a lot of pressure from his father um, to perform at a very high level. There's a scene where his uh, father's telling a dinner guest, hey, just tell my, my son a couple uh, numbers and let him I multiply them mm-hmm. and so you know say like, hey uh, so you know 25 times 75 or or something like that and you know he was able to do that very quickly but then the guy does a real jerk move and he goes well you know i don't know 25,723 times you know 
28,000. Anyway, it became a little bit too much for a human brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there was the look, the shot of look of failure that uh, the father gave the son. So uh, McEnroe definitely was uh, a, a product of the late 70s. Very much maybe a, a David Byrne-ish type of guy with a mixture of Ramones and, and Debbie Harry from Blondie. Um, you know, just kind of a punk New, New Yorker, kind yeah. of um, brash, but, you know, obviously part of the tennis crowd, which is uh, a little bit elitist. Uh, I shouldn't say a little bit elitist, but but it is. Um, the, the the people who, who tend to play tennis are tend to be wealthier and, and have a little bit more means. Um, this was... If there's a criticism that could be made on this movie, it would be that the, the pain and anguish uh, that come from being a person who is on this level, um, there seemed very little joy. Like Borg certainly was a, a creature of almost OCD. Hmm. Um, he had to have everything the same. He had to have multiple tennis rackets, had, the, had to have his pulse at a certain rate. He had to, the clothing he wore had to be you know, a certain way. He, he had very particular taste, and he never seemed to be enjoying it. In fact, what you learn at the end of it as they're rolling the credits is Borg retired so um, Borg ended up winning his fir- uh, fifth uh, Wimbledon. McEnroe beat Borg the following year for his first Wimbledon. And after that, um, uh, Borg retired. Mm-hmm. So he was 26 years old when he retired. Wow. It sounds very young, doesn't it? Well, for sports, that's well, that's not uncommon. Well, you know, um, he had probably been paying 15 years or more, maybe longer. And, uh, you know, obviously... Um, it takes its toll. Sure. For a person like him, it was very mental, I'm sure. they. Uh, by the way, McEnroe and Borg, who they're not enemies or anything like that, but they're competitors, they became really, really good friends. I think it's part of this because they had a, a similar um, youth and they have, you know, a shared passion in tennis. And I still, you see you see McEnroe uh, calling uh, matches and stuff like that. He's Everybody would love to run into McEnroe here and there. But not the Borg, because because resistance is futile. <laughs> Sorry, Star I, Trek. I enjoyed this film. Uh, it is very much a Rocky-type film. Mm-hmm. And uh, the deal is is that everybody cheers at the end. Rocky failed, but everybody cheers at the end. There you go. Opening this week, we've got some movies. The first one's called Breaking In. We watched the trailer for this one. This is a really good trailer. This is a young lady played by Gabrielle Union, who you might remember from Bring It On. She is in a situation where where she's in this home that's not hers that has uh, some security cameras and some some uh, she's got, security she's, things going on. Yeah, it looks uh, looks intense. And then something terrible happens. This is a great great trailer i don't know if this is gonna be a great movie but this trailer is really intense uh, yes it is and and this may be um this might be a pretty good film we'll find out it very well might be i don't know the trailer's great go see the trailer there's a movie called life of the party opening this week this is melissa mccarthy is she playing uh rodney, rodney dangerfield in <laughs> Yes, basically this is the gender swap back to school for the 21st century. Melissa McCarthy is a a, a housewife who is she's, she's going through. Fu- she's not fulfilled, Steve. And she goes back to college with her daughter. They and, join the sorority together, and hilarity ensues. <laughs> I look forward to this one. I love Back to School. Back to School is one of my favorite movies. Oh, I, I love it too. I love it it's too. A, it's such a silly story, and you. you Get into it. I think Melissa McCarthy's going to do really well with this one. Steve, is there a serious film that we could see this week? Yes. And now to start whispering. 
The Sony Pictures classic tale, The Seagull, opens this week in theaters, Chip. Stay, uh, Steve, it was an age of propriety <laughs> when one must go to the lake to enjoy themselves. This is the summer movie, right? This is this is summertime. Maybe not our summer. Maybe this is the summer from last century with big hats and white clothing. And This is, and, this is not BBC, though, right? This is not a British production, but this certainly has a British flair to it. It certainly seems like a, a Shakespeare could have written in this story Steve, of love and loss. It was a, an age of love. It was a age. Oh, we were going to go down by the lake. Oh, yes, yes. Lots of costumes. The seagull. <laughs> anyway, there you go. If you're going to see something and your brain uh, cells don't want to crumble, maybe this is the thing to do. Or maybe you get a good sleep. Either way. Or there is another summer movie called The Measure of a Man opening this week. This is much more American, much more on, on the level of our childhood. This is the, the teen pick of the week, right? Yes. Because it, it really does have a chance of maybe t- potentially having legs. Yes. This is very much like Dirty Dancing, that summer tale of love and, and the, the teenager and the young people and the, he's mowing the lawn and now he's going to go to summer camp. It has everything in it. This is, I think, going to be a really nice movie about growing up and finding your way as a young person. Measure of a man. Measure of a man. <laughs> There is a independent sci-fi kind of thriller called Higher Power opening this week as well. There's a gamma ray that is coming toward Earth, and all of the Earth is going to be destroyed by this gamma ray unless this one super heroic person can gain powers and beat the gamma ray. And so it's got that thing going for it, Steve. Yeah, this is one of those independent sci-fi pictures. If it was on the Sci-Fi Channel or Siffy, I, I might watch it. I'm not sure that I'm going to go to the theater and watch this one. It'll be available streaming soon enough higher power sounds very important sounds like it should be narrated by by james earl jones or something. exactly exactly <laughs> book it 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 Brings us to our book at our book of the week. You have been reading. You you, you like comic strips, right? I do. Saturday Saturday morning breakfast cereal is mm-hmm. one of my favorite comic strips. Now that's not in a newspaper. That I'm, is I'm, only online, right? I'm so surprised that newspapers haven't picked this up. Mm-hmm. So Saturday morning breakfast cereal and the oatmeal are probably the best comics out there right now. And you're a big fan. You read oh, yeah. those daily, weekly? No, no, no. I, I go to them maybe once a month. Okay. And you run through a bunch of them. There's always something. Anyway, for Saturday morning breakfast cereal, there's always something science-y going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's written by Zach Wienersmith. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's got married, Steve. Oh, congratulations, Zach. And he got married to Kelly Wienersmith. Um, anyway, uh, her name was like Kelly Smith, and his name was Zach Wiener. When, uh, Kelly was going to work on her doctorate degree. She could never find her papers. She'd go online and do a search for them and never find them so when they got married they combined their names that's why the name wiener smith is there nice so she can always find her papers now steve nice <laughs> that makes that's it makes a lot of sense if your name is smith it's hard to find anything with your name on it now i learned about this book from a podcast i listened to and the name of the book is soonish 10 emerging technologies that'll improve or ruin everything <laughs> And so that was released uh, back last October. Mm-hmm. So I listened to this podcast maybe in December. I had ordered it off Amazon. It had sat on my um, uh, right in front of my coffee table, taking up my coffee table. And uh, I finally, 
I finally got through it. Nice. So this is an excellent book. So tell me all about this. It's about science. You got my intention there. It's got it's cartoons got, in it. It's got cartoons in it. Okay. It's, it's a wonderful, uh, wonderful book. So th- what we end up doing is going through through ten subjects from the big uh, subjects the to the big s- questions of life, uh, the, big, the universe, exactly. and everything. So we talk about space travel initially, mm-hmm. uh, and, and we talk about going to space. We're talking about the rockets. You know, why um, did we land on the moon back in the 60s? Haven't, haven't we gone back? Mm-hmm. Alien, Steve. Aliens. That's a big question. No, no, I'm teasing. All right, so what we really got out of that was it's very expensive to go to space. Mm-hmm. And they really break it down. In fact, that's the, the, the beauty of this whole book is – we talk about the dreams that are out there. And this and this book, the entire time you're reading about it, reading it, you are getting the possibility of life. You're getting how our lives could really be changed for the better and all this other stuff. But they also talk a lot about the realities of them and how difficult either the science is, because many of these things are, they certainly are not your everyday occurrences. Mm-hmm. Uh, or they talk about the economics of it, how expensive it is, um, or the alternatives being less expensive. So one of the things that we learn about this is, you know, we, t- we talk about going out in outer space, either companies or, um, or governments go- landing on an uh, asteroid and mining it. Because Google actually had talked about doing that too. Right. That's still incredibly expensive. Mm-hmm. And we learned a little bit about the economics uh, of this. And we, we learned that it may be less expensive, even though it could be very, very expensive, to just basically work on Earth and try to find this and, and mine this stuff. And uh, I mean, it just keeps going on and on. Eventually, we get down to the smaller stuff like, um, you know, if Steve needed a liver replaced or Steve needed a heart replaced, he would go on a list for this and uh, yes we can all sign up to be organ donors mm-hmm. but you still may not be very high on, on the list we so right. we talk about technologies that not rebuilding your heart maybe just taking the place of your heart maybe mm-hmm. taking the place of your liver and that is something that that uh, we eventually get to I, I, I let me throw out some of the science uh, things that they were talking about so we talk a little bit about global warming or climate change as we, we talk about it mm-hmm. well one of the um, subjects that was brought up in here is maybe creating floating clouds up in the, the sky basically you know netting or something like that to block you know the sun coming down wow. or something like that and and changing that, the climate that, using technology and that could be a reality on on how to combat this. Um, I love this book. Hmm. The, the other part, I mean, they they, they, they they talk about Brian Kaplan, which uh, we we've, we've tried to have on. Brian has like a game day, yeah, uh, where his basically for the weekend. I'm sorry, it's a weekend. It's his own personal festival. That's awesome at his home. Yeah, and uh, he invites all his friends and family over, and they do games during the day. And then do karaoke all night and watch movies later on. It, it is it's like, like a summer movie. Well, it's like it's like a summer festival <laughs> yeah. for his for him and his friends. That's awesome, uh, and his family. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, he's 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 quoted quite a bit in here. He's a professor of economics uh, down at George Mason, where I went to school. Mm-hmm. And then we have Noah Smith, who's another economist. Anyway, he um, is also quoted in here. So anyway, I've got all these little anchors, and then we're talking about a lot of these sciences that may be above our skill set. But they're really talking about them in a very relatable language. You hmm. can really get an understanding. I'm With a, a little illustration. Sure. I'm, you know, imagine nice. your table adjusting to you 
Um, you know, uh, just in Russia, table adjusts to you. Well, it, could, it, it could be <laughs> uh, we talked about making food, almost like uh-huh. Star Trek makes food. Mm-hmm. So, Replicator technology. So anyway, the 3D the, printing. This the, where we've gone with 3D printing is pretty stunning, and where we're headed is is absolutely amazing. Steve, they were talking about building a house in 30 minutes. 30 minutes, mm-hmm. uh, in, in basically uh, using a 3D printer. Mm-hmm. Now, wh- one the ch- one of the challenges we we talk about in this book, or we we learn about, is our ability to build a house in the United States won't work that way because we have codes and stuff like that that just are not designed for a 3D house being built right. like this because they have to come and inspect it on every level. Right. But anyway, the technology is there that potentially we could have, you could go away for the weekend, you come back and your house is a new house. Wow. How about Future that? Future is bright. Yes. Highly recommended. This is a great summer read. It's certainly not going to be above any person reading it. So if you're a young person, you could read it. Okay. Or if you're um, a person who loves science, your wheels in your brain will turn. You, you definitely, the squirrels will enjoy themselves. Nice. So that one's called Soonish, the 10 Emerging Technologies That Will Improve and or Ruin Everything by Kelly and Zach Wienersmith. You can find it on our Amazon store, amazon.toomuchscrolling.com. Scroll with it. Brings us to our scroll with it, and boy, you know, summer is coming, and it's time to find some fun things to do. There's some fun games that we can play without going outside, like on a rainy day, on a day you don't want to go outside. There's lots of games that we can play inside with our friends. Well, you remember, we, we talked to Professor Chestnut down at uh, Faithful State University about the role-playing games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are there other types of games that we could consider playing? There's so many games. You know, when we, when we were growing up, so many you know, millennia ago, we had lots of board games that we played oh, as a like group. The, the tabletop games. Uh-huh. Oh. There's so many new ones, Chip. Do you know anyone who could help us with that? You know, let's call up Nick Dorsey. Nick Dorsey is a tabletop gaming and board game enthusiast, and he really enjoys playing these games, and he knows so much more about it than I do. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, how we doing, guys? Doing all right. Enjoying. I'm enjoying the the concept of what we're going to stand here in the middle of summer and be able to do in the next few weeks. And and gaming is one of those things that I remember from summertime growing up. Yeah. Why don't we start off, Nick? Why don't you tell us a little bit about the history as you know it about board gaming? Sure. Uh, I, I'm happy to. I'll kind of go through uh, my little history with it. So. Uh, like many people, kind of early on, I, I really gaming. I got started with video gaming, uh, probably about four or five years old. Uh, I'm talking some of the classics: Sonic the Hedgehog, Mortal Kombat, Toe Jam and Earl. Uh, and to help put it in perspective, I was so into it uh, when I was a kid that I very purposely left a window unlocked once when I was being babysat down the road. I'm about five years old at this time, uh, just so I could sneak out to go back home just to play some some Sega Genesis. So wow. right away. Uh, I was drawn to the creativeness and competitiveness that uh, gaming as a whole offers. So board gaming kind of came along, like many people, a little later. Uh, you know, some of those usual suspects, Monopoly, Clue, Sorry. Uh, and not just board games, card games like Uno, kind of the family night sort of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have some great flashbacks of playing games called Crossfire or even setting up the trap and mouse trap over and over. So sure. gaming, yeah, gaming was a big part of, of my childhood, and it sounds like uh, you guys as well, uh, and was really just one of those things that allowed me to uh, get to know people in a different way. So 
uh, you know, after going from a lot of those classic kind of games, uh, as funny as it sounds, a huge bridge for me in my, my teenage years was this game called Atmosphere. So when I say Atmosphere, take out the S P H E R E and put in F E A R. So, uh, to sum it up for you guys, this is a 1991 Australian horror game. Really? Um, yeah. And so you guys will immediately think I'm too young for this, but Atmosphere was a VHS guided game. Ah. So you, you start the game by writing down your fears and the winner gets to read them at the end. It's a little cheesy, but, uh, it has its moments. And so no idea how we got a hold of this thing. Uh, but we did, and I, I have to credit it with, you know, kind of helping bridge me into some more games. Uh, but the real deal that sold me on tabletop gaming was uh, the Settlers of Catan, or Catan as some people call it. Um, I was fortunate enough to find a good group of people to help introduce me. Uh, and after that, the floodgates were open to board gaming. And the good news, fellows, is it's only gotten better since then. So why, why don't you tell us about what types of games do you like best, and, and why do you like them? Uh, I personally, I'm more into strategy resource style games. Um, I, I enjoy games that can be won in a multitude of ways and require some, some ad hoc adjustments as you go. Uh, I find they tend to be a little more rewarding compared to some other game styles, but that's not to say that there aren't some great dice games, card games, party games, social games. I, I just, that tends to be the genre that I personally latch onto the most. So you mentioned Settlers of Catan. That's that seems to be one of the the classic games, one of those games that everybody's heard of now. That came out in 1995. It's 23 years old now, which doesn't sound old to me as an old person, but it's been around for a very long time. Can you tell us, you know, what's the difference between the classic games that I know, Monopoly and Sorry, and uh, this game, Settlers of Catan? Yeah, uh, the best way to that I can put it uh, in the, the tabletop gaming world, they differentiate between uh, kind of two main styles. And you hear it as German or Euro gaming uh, and then American gaming. And there are some some fun names in there. There's also Ameritrash where they yeah, kind of make fun at, at some American gaming. But it, it has No, they don't way. make fun no, of that. No, it's very important. <laughs> <laughs> so the to conceptualize it the way that I understand it, is American board games are things like the Game of Life and Scrabble and some of the things we mentioned earlier uh, are depicted in being mechanically based on the theme of the game and having a high degree of luck involved as to where Euro games pretty much embody uh, a lot of what I'm talking about in Settlers. They tend to emphasize strategy and uh, more likely to be economic-based than military-based. And uh, it, it, it's tough, I think, being American because we are much more familiar with the array of American board gaming, uh, meaning we know the full scope. So we know the, the really good, we know the, the really bad, uh, or just the really basic. Uh, so I feel like we get the highlights of the majority of the Euro games. But I will say, uh, you know, comparing the two, almost any uh, of the games I've played that are Euro style uh, have, have been great. Um, so not to say that the American games that we all started on weren't great, but I think they've had their time. So tell us a little bit about, as, as you, you kind of mentioned over, um, tell us a little bit about the Settlers of Catan, this, this game that kind of the renaissance of, of gaming. Yeah, it, uh, you know, it's interesting. It really has kind of helped carry the torch in a weird way, even though this, like uh, Steve had mentioned, it's 23 years old uh, and has carried through, and, and it even won a bunch of awards in 1995 when it was created in Germany, a Game of the Year award. I think it won about four awards. Uh, and it really just 
became popular uh, in American board gaming, I would say mid to late 2000s. Um, so there, there's actually a neat documentary uh, called Going Cardboard that was done in which uh, the creator of Settlers of Catan, which is uh, Klaus Tuber, uh, he is actually a part of that documentary. And you kind of get to hear more from him uh, and the role that this game has played in the American board gaming scene and helping popularize it. So... Um, to talk a little bit about the game, uh, you know, Settlers of Catan is a neat little strategy resource game that demonstrates the, the law of supply and demand so fabulously. Uh, so the premise of the game is you're settling the Isle of Catan uh, and you are doing so by producing, building and trading. Uh, you're building cities and settlements. These help you produce resources and the players in the game, you trade these resources. First one to 10 points wins. So the game uses two dice, so there's a ton of probability that factors into your constant resource management. At times you have to work with others, at times you have to manifest destiny and take take the land that's yours and work against others. Uh, you know, really when you guys look at this thing, it, it's about a $35, $40 game. You can get it at Target now. That's how popular this game has become. Uh, gameplay probably takes about one to two hours after you've played a couple rounds. The first few can be uh, a little longer. Um, the base game suits three to four players for a couple extra bucks. You can uh, get an extension that'll accommodate five to six. And there's even a wide array of expansions that enhance and, and change the gameplay quite dramatically. So you, you can get this base game, play it a couple hundred times, uh, and then get one of these expansions and, and really add to the gameplay. So uh, it's really a beautifully developed game. Uh, and as I mentioned, it was just a huge doorway for me and many of my friends uh, in the world of board gaming. So uh, I'll put it this way. I've never met a person that has played this game and didn't like it and didn't want to play again immediately. All right. So I'll go ahead and mention this. I, I did order this last night, Nick. So okay. it should be arriving Monday, I guess, or Tuesday. Yes. Um, so I will uh, have my board game ready. So when we when we see you down at Indie PopCon, <laughs> oh. yeah, we'll uh, maybe we'll pull this out and we'll play a game or so. That's, uh, a, that's I'd exciting. Love to. So what what is it about this game that that gets people excited about it? You sound like you you really enjoy this game. I've never played this game before. What is it that's going to get me in to to this? <laughs> uh, it's a great question, Steve. So specifically, this type of game. Uh, really forces interaction uh, from the, the trading aspect and, uh, again, the competitive aspect. So, uh, and I, I don't mean, you know, you always have some people that are overly competitive, but I think for the most part, we all enjoy uh, a little bit of competition. It helps engage us and, and also helps really build that community while you're playing the game. Um, so in the game, you have to make offers, but again, you also have to be competitive and, and manage your resources. So, uh, you game plan, someone alters that game plan, uh, and that's going on with multiple people at the same time. So the drama kind of thickens because everyone's watching how this all interacts and intertwines. Uh, and what I'd say is it's honestly one of the few times uh, in today's world that you can have a very connected experience with someone for the majority of the time that you are sitting down doing this. So uh, I, I may just have some hardcore gaming friends, but it, it is something that everyone is engaged uh, with when we are together and doing it. The amount of focus on the game really opens up a room, uh, helps you kind of settle in uh, and get away from the, the status quo questions that, that we all like so much. Um, Move us a little bit beyond uh, small talk to maybe, yeah. maybe deeper conversations. Hmm. Yeah, you know, and, and when I think about it, you know, what's truly amazing is how little people check their phones and, and 
you know, people are very connected to the room that they're in and the people they're with. Uh, and they're able to kind of disconnect from, from the outside world, which to me is, you know, just absolutely fantastic. So it, it's a true thing of beauty. Um, I would describe it as just an avenue for pure interaction uh, that honestly, as I was mentioning the, before uh, we got on, it, thinking about this really helped me understand you know, what I really did love so much about it. It's one of those things, it's easy to be like, oh, I love board gaming, uh, and, and here's some reasons why. But thinking about, you know, thinking through these things, I realized that it's not just the world's itself that the game creates or that you get to explore the design or the mechanic of the game, that it's truly the experience that you share with the other people you're playing with that I'm, makes this such a profound experience, in my opinion. I'm going to say ding, 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 ding. We, this is the uh, the part where you say, oh, we should probably remember what you just said because <laughs> it seems to be a theme of why people play games. Mm -hmm. they, it's not just the game, which is fun. Yeah. Uh, it's that shared experience. Yeah, and uh, as I mentioned before, uh, you know, I, I love video games and appreciate all those capabilities, how you can virtually explore all these different realms and they lay it out in front of you but it's just not the same level of, of stimuli your you know your interaction with a screen or maybe even a headset you're talking to someone but it's very different than physically being in front of them and you know, you're all creating your little strategies and going head to head so uh, that's why i'd recommend it for anybody or any group of people all right so this this game was founded by a person named klaus tuba and uh, <laughs> klaus is from germany all right yeah. so from deutschland Anyway, um, do you know anything about him? What can you tell us? Um, I have a, a little bit of an understanding. So from what I gathered, uh, interestingly enough, he wasn't a game designer originally by profession, um, but he was inspired kind of by Viking tales, and that had uh, led him to create a game. I believe his first name was Barbarossa. Uh, and then he created a good handful of games after that before going on to create Settlers of Catan, uh, or Catan as it's known now. Uh, and I would say that's about the extent of my knowledge about him, uh, okay. outside the fact that he is in that Going Cardboard documentary, where you can learn some about him. And something you also mentioned, you're not from originally the town you're living in now. How did Correct. You, how did you find a group of people to play these types of games with? Yeah, uh, so I appreciate that. I, I would say that, uh, in my experience, there's kind of two things that would get in your way if you want to get involved in gaming. And those two things are... Girlfriends uh, and wives. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm teasing. <laughs> it's your life and your inability to escape it. <laughs> it's uh, No, but honestly, I think people can get pigeonholed in the cost of, of the games. Um, okay. Some of these games are, are $30. There are games out there, Chip and Steve, that are hundreds, you know, 800 bucks right now. Um, the number one game, uh, as it is rated through a, a popular website called Board Game Geek, um, is uh, right now, I think you can get it for about eight, 900 bucks. Wow. So cost is a big deal. And then also your community, because there's wonderful two player games. There's wonderful, you know, six player games and everything in between. So you are a little limited to that for me. Uh, I was fortunate enough uh, through my work to find friends and then just, uh, you know, I, I travel a ton, do a lot of conferences. So it's kind of just something I bring up to people. Um, okay. I ordered a board game the other day, uh, Terraforming Mars. It is in the mail. Uh, so I asked a couple of my work friends, hey, you ever play some board games? Not really. Well, I have a good one coming if you'd be interested. So um, it's just kind of offering something a little different on Friday night. Uh, hey, you guys want to sit down and do this and just 
just asking. And Chip mentioned that we're going down to Indie PopCon. There's usually a really hot gaming room at most conventions. Do you, do you go to conventions often and go play games with strangers? Yeah, uh, recently not as much. Um, but the, the really neat thing about the board gaming community is it, it is one of those things that you can generally, like you said, if you walk into a room and you say, hey, can I play? I mean, you might have to watch. You might have to wait till the next game. Um, but very accepting people always looking for someone else to play so i highly recommend anyone to uh you know let their guard down a little bit and just walk up and ask because i guarantee they would be very happy to have you um and those communities are great really good ways to meet people from uh all around the country pop cons draw a ton of people so highly encourage uh people to get involved that way too because it, it'll add an element uh, of excitement to being in a large room with a bunch of people that are excited about this one thing Wonderful. So how can our listeners find out more about the Settlers of Catan and all these all these great games that are out there? Yeah, uh, I would say their their website, uh, www.catan.com, uh, is a good spot to check. I would also check out your app store for iPhone or Android. They have uh, uh, a decent application game that you can play to get used to it, keep you busy while you're on the go, um, uh, or just stop by your local game shop. Sure. They, they have a ton of information there, and I'm sure they have settlers of Japan. And when you're at the local game shop, that's another place to meet people and start up a game. There's usually some game going on at the local game shop, too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's uh, 24-7. Some of those places, yeah. uh, shout out game time here in Indianapolis. I mean, they'll stay open till 2, 3, 4 in the morning, um, and it's all local community. So and that's, that's the that's... best way to plug you in. I was going to say, and not to take this too far away from from our focus right here, but you remember we were at Chicago Tardis, Steve, mm-hmm. and we went to the game room, and the gentleman up at the Milwaukee uh, School of uh, Engineering. Engineering, yeah, the first thing he did when he when the kids were coming in is he was asking them about Doctor Who, uh-huh. uh, and also <laughs> about gaming because right? uh, the idea was to get the kids plugged in, yeah, uh, basically create their their social group. To make a community, to create those ties through the game that yeah. we can then communicate with each other. That That's what it's all about, I think. Nick, I can't thank you enough for, for sharing um, your knowledge with us. Um, we look forward to other games we can learn about in the future. Oh, boy. Um, and thank you for joining us. Yeah, very, very happy to be here. Thanks, Chip and Steve. Appreciate it. We're, we're almost there, Chip. We're, we're almost there. We're almost there. The end of the school year is coming, and we are still reading our end of the school year reading assignment for this year. That's Renee by Jessica Eyes. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm only a quarter way through it. My assumption is you're finished. I finished this book. I really enjoyed this book a lot. I think everybody who's listening to me and knows me knows that I'm, I, I'm going to suggest this book. This is a book that everybody should enjoy. Now, if you want a paper version, you can always order it off of Amazon, mm-hmm. but you also have a Kindle version. It's very inexpensive. That's right. So join us and read this book yep. because um, we'll have the author on. On and, May 22nd. So you've way, got a couple of weeks left. She would love you to either review it for mm-hmm. on Amazon or also send some questions in. We'd love to be able to answer, uh, ask her those questions. Yep. Go to renee.toomuchscrolling.com, pick up a copy, send us your questions, voicemail, or record it and send us an MP3. We will absolutely enjoy hearing from you, and we'll pass those questions on to Jessica Eyes. 
I want to thank you for listening, and I want to thank Nick Dorsey for coming in and talking to us about the Settlers of Catan. I should play more board games. Oh, in fact, that's what I got from this also. Yeah. We should probably try to get him back on. We should go over to the local pub and, and set up some board game nights. Oh, we could probably we do that. We should do that. Come on out. Come on out. Let's let's play some board games. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think, Chip? Only if we can come back next week. I think we can. If you need more information, give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-4104-TMS, especially if you have questions for Jessica Eyes. We want to hear from you. Go to our website, TooMuchScrolling.com. Our email is TooMuchScrolling at gmail.com. We're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We're on iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn Radio. And every day of the week, you can go to our new site, News.TooMuchScrolling.com. Want Thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Foder. I'm Chip Hessenflug. We'll see you in the future.